Welcome back to Judging Book Covers, your bi-weekly book club podcast, uh, where we're going through our 2019 challenge list. I'm Stephanie Cortez, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Megan Griffin. How are you doing tonight, Megan? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. I'm excited because we have a guest on this week, and it, feel we like it's, it feels like it's been a while. <laughs> it's definitely been a while. It has definitely been a you and me chattering away kind of year, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that, too. But it is always good to bring in new opinions. Yes, we can mix it up a little bit. And it's a guest that we haven't had before. Yes. (laughs) Not that repeats aren't great. Um, But tonight we have Alex Lavelle from Panelology. How are you, Alex? I'm good. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be fun. Alex is going to be talking dramas rather than comics. (laughs) It does happen occasionally, just usually not in front of a microphone. <laughs> oh, it definitely happens. Just, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Before we get into what we read this week for the podcast, Megan, you were going to read We Met in December. How'd that go? Not great. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was using it to kick off my, I like to like read a lot of really light holiday stuff um, once about November hits, and it was not the best. Um, so I don't really recommend it. I also don't want to just like straight up bash it or anything, but I, you know, it wasn't for me, but I have Mm -hmm. thankfully found a few holiday books since that I really, really loved. So I'm in the holiday spirit already. Nice. So what about you? Um, I was supposed to read Eloquent Rage, which was an audiobook, but... I get easily distracted on the train and feel like I need, if I'm sitting, like if I'm walking the dog, I can just go, but it's fine. Yes. But if I'm sitting on the train, which I, this is where I do most of my reading now, I feel like I need to be holding something, like holding the physical book or my Kindle. And if I'm not, I feel like I need to be doing something with my hands, which results in me looking at my phone and then not listening <laughs> and stopping the audiobook. So I think I'm about maybe half, yeah, halfway through it and okay. could have finished it, but didn't. <laughs> Did you uh, read anything else on the train to make up for, or not to make up for, um, to entertain yourself, I guess? Not really. There's a lot of looking at my stupid phone. Yeah, I know (laughs) that feeling. Nothing important. Nothing of substance, really. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I I should learn how to knit. I know we were talking before we started recording that I do cross-stitch, but knitting could be easier to do on the train while listening to an audiobook. That is, yes. Because then you just need a million little threads. A ball. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I did, well, okay, so the other thing that I read on the train was what we read for this week. Oh, yes, um, we did read a book. Well, yes, we did. Well, our challenge was a play, um, and we read The Moors by Jen Silverman. Had you read this before? Me? Yeah. No. No. Uh, I, nope, I knew about it uh, through Alex. Um but I had not actually read it, nor have I seen it. Same. Really want to see it now. <laughs> yes. That takes care of my question, which was, oh, no, will they hate this? Oh, no. <laughs> no, definitely didn't hate it. No, not at all. I get weird reactions sometimes when I put this one in front of people. I can see that. Yeah. But I, I think we both have a good appreciation for making fun of uh, Victorian Moors. Yes. And I think where people trip up on this one is you have to read it as a comedy. If you're trying to read it as like horror or straight drama, it's not 
not what this is. Right. <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> yes. And you helped produce it. You guys had it. You were part of the team last year. Yes. So last year, I had never read this until I was hired to stage manage a production of it uh, for a theater here in town. And yeah, I mean, we were one of the first regional theaters to get licensing for it. Certainly the first in the Southeast. It's a pretty new play by all accounts. That's awesome. So uh, I think we're... There were two productions, one at Yale, one in New York off-Broadway, maybe? Yeah. And then uh, regional theaters started uh, being allowed to apply for rights, and we managed to we managed to get managed to get it. Nice. That's awesome. How did do you know how they heard about it? I don't. I know that the director brought it to the theater that produced it and recommended it to them. He had read it somewhere. He has a a fondness for sort of weird, funny, dark things and was also drawn to the humor in it. And that's why he pitched it to them. Um, it was actually one of three shows they did in rep, and there was sort of no cohesive thread between the three except, well, we can put these on the same set. <laughs> so the parlor got used for even more things. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although for one of those shows, they did just kind of put a wrestling ring over the platform that was the parlor. Mm. And uh, I'm sorry, what? Um... <laughs> One of the three plays, I feel like maybe I should have pitched this one now. <laughs> one of the three plays in rap was called The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity and was about racial tensions played out through professional wrestling. Oh, wow. my. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, they had an actual, like, two-spec wrestling ring as the whole thing was in the round. The whole rep was in the round. They put an actual two-spec wrestling ring up three different times because we cycled through the shows for that particular play. And it just fit right over the 12 by 12 platform that we used for the other two. Very cool. Yeah. I will say I liked the beginning when it's talking about the setting and playwrights notes um, that the casting is best when it's diverse and that Mm -hmm. it specifically said there's no version in which only the animals are played by actors of color. It's like, I appreciate you taking the time to write that. Yes. Yes, I was like, oh no. I can guess what inspired you to add this, but like in 2017, that's a little sad that it still have is to. required to be said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I meant to look up what a, if a more hen is anything in particular, or if it's just like oh, a it's type basically of, it's basically a type of chicken. I mean, I figured that. Cool. I didn't know if it was like. Does it just look like a chicken? Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not like any sort of beautiful, special, fancy bird. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, they're completely black with red faces. They're kind of cool looking and big ass feet. Good God. <laughs> you know what? This is a dusky moorhen out of New Zealand. This is probably not what they're thinking about. No, a little different. <laughs> I, th- I think they're, I think the, uh, the ones from these moors are a little more plain. Okay. Mm. I can tell you that ours wore a funky marabou hat. That okay. is amazing. 
We didn't put the dog, the Mastiff, or the Morhen mm-hmm. in, like, you know, mascot suits or whatever. Yeah. We basically dressed them in period clothes that suggested dog and bird. Nice. Interesting. Nice. So wings or no? No wings, but like I said, a very feathery hat. Okay. Nice. So yeah, we have the Mastiff and the Morhen, and then we have Agatha... Is it Huldy? Huldy. Huldy. I feel like I'm saying Short for Huldegard. Huldegard. Yeah. Marjorie and Emily. Yep. Yeah, Emily. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect because I obviously like, it's like, okay, it's play. Let's dive into this. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading the list of characters, Agatha being described as spidery, dangerous, and powerful. The eldest spinster sister also. So I was like, all right. Um, I just liked the term spidery, <laughs> like dangerous. It's like, oh. Because spiders spin webs and she's a spinster. Yeah. Uh, I do I hate spiders, it. but I liked this description. <laughs> I do like Holdy's description as well, because I feel like it's yeah. uh, very much of a younger sister, as my younger sister wants to be a YouTube star. Maybe that's where I'm pulling from. Yeah. Where it says younger spinster sister. Mackenzie, you're not a spinster. It's okay. <laughs> she has a diary. She wants to be famous. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's so much of who she is. Like, oh, that's all you need for yeah. her. Yeah. That is her. A hundred percent. And Emily, the romantic with a sweet face. <laughs> I think yeah. Marjorie Mallory was my favorite character, though. Oh, my Mar- God. Marjorie Mallory steals any and every scene she is in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She, so, like when it starts and Agatha's fussing with Holdy's hair and they're waiting for the governess to come when the bird hits the window and Agatha basically expects Marjorie to just fix it. I liked that jumping off point because it told me a lot about Agatha. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, let me go back to it. She's very typical of like the head matron of a family in the Victorian time where things have to be in order. Mm-hmm. Stay out from under my foot. Well, I think that's just not even, we can get into it later, but like, that's not even just the social trappings that's just who she is like she does not like things out of order no her beef with her brother is simply he made my life difficult so i ended him (laughs) (laughs) so i saw that this was four four or five women and a man that's like what it's supposed to be and for some reason i kept expecting the brother to come Mm -hmm. and it just hit me that the man is probably the dog Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's where I'm at tonight. Yeah, we uh, we can get into what the dog does at the end, but I was just like, of course. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we're told the setting is the bleak moors of England. And mm-hmm. if you are someone listening and you don't know what moors are and you haven't read like Weathering Heights or Jane Eyre. I haven't read Jane Eyre. I've read Wuthering Heights, and oh boy, that book's a lot. Um, but think gothic, foggy, Victorian England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's a very strange place, just sort of existentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of the the trick of one of the tricks of putting this up on stage because you have to make and you have the weirdness of the house and nothing ever changing. But you also have this external space that's basically empty except for these really gnarly, like, white trees with blood-red leaves. Ooh. Like, that's the kind of rolling fog, Mm kind of wet, very cold place that this is. It's, it is, like, one of the most liminal sorts of spaces you can find on Earth. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It did also make me want to go watch Crimson Peak. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I had to debate because I did my, my top 10 movies for the decade. Shush, Alex. Um, and I had a hard time with Crimson Peak because I've only seen it once and I really did enjoy it. <gasps> once. And, but I had to. Well, yeah, because I it kind of like escaped my attention until like maybe last year, a year and a half ago. <laughs> and I just haven't watched it since. And so I think there was another movie. I was like, well. This movie came out the same year, and I've seen this a dozen times. Unfortunately, this one takes the cake. <laughs> I think I've seen ten movies in the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> it was one for each year. Oh. That's hard. Yeah, it was. Because I'm also the worst at remembering when movies came oh, out. Oh, I had Wikipedia up. Yeah. And I knew, like, maybe five, where I was like, well, I know this one's going to go in this year. And there was one year, I think it was like 2012, where I was like, well, nothing good here. Oh, damn. 2013. (laughs) Books were much easier, for the record. Mm. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, but no, for me, I'm not. I feel like I just, I don't know. It's hard for me to rank where I'm just like, yeah, I really like this. Or, yeah, I like this. It's fine. It's hard for me to be like, oh, I hated this. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't so hate pick a, a favorite. Yeah, yeah. Like I cannot do. This is my favorite. Blank. I can do like here are the here's like one of each of six different types of this thing that I think is a great right. example of yeah. this type of that. Yeah. Yes. When I started at my job in July, you know, they have you do all these like little icebreaker things. And one of them was like, where are you from? Who's your family? And like, da, 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 and like favorite movie. And I was like, I have to pick one movie. You, can't. you just can't. Right. It's like, what's my mood today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what am I in the mood for? It's like, do you want the movie that I turn on when it's been a bad day? Or do you want the movie I turn on when I'm cleaning? Right. Or when I'm sick? Because I will watch Clue yeah. like pretty much anytime I'm sick, Clue comes out. <laughs> All right, so the Moors. Yes. How are these songs, Alex? Are they good? Yes. So. Which I was I not mean, expecting. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not pleasantly surprised. <laughs> the easy one to get out of the way is the lullaby that Agatha sings. Mm. Because there's really not accompaniment in the script for that one. It's very much just a... Try to carry a tune. Like, that was kind of the, the direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if this is what exactly our version wound up being, or if it's just where we started from. But like, the idea started out for us with, well, maybe Agatha will sort of sing back her lyrics in the melody Emily sang earlier in her lullaby. Okay. And just kind of fall away from them as she goes and can't stick to a rhythm and can't come up with verse that scans and just sort of 
uh, cram it all in there like she's trying to fit three lines into one. The lullaby is fine. The lullaby is helped by having someone actually play it, uh, which we did. We actually put a guitar in the actress's hands and had someone teach her to play just enough to pluck it out. Nice. So that it's not, like, too refined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually think it wouldn't hurt for it to be too refined because it's supposed to be really nice, but this was simple and, like, honest, and it worked that way. The big production number. Yes. <laughs> is. I mean, I even like the stage notes for it. Yes. Where it's like, this it's... is a rock show. Yes. I mean. It definitely reads as such. I will, I will tell you this about it. Every night when we got to that show. So, okay. I don't know if everyone knows what a stage manager does. Listening. Probably not. <laughs> um, during a show, I am standing in a booth watching everything on a headset. Saying, Light Q202, go. Sound Q6, go. Light Q47, go. Pyro, go. Fog, go. That kind of thing. So, managing the stage. Yes. <laughs> um, calling all of the cues so they go in the right place and with each other yeah. when they're supposed to. I would, like, kick my stool back and stand for this one <laughs> yes. so I could, like... Call it in the beat and in rhythm. And fortunately, no one could see me and no one was in this booth with me because this theater has one booth for the stage manager and another for board ops. Um, So I could just sort of shamelessly, like, groove to this as I went. Nice. It lends itself to that, but in the most ridiculous way. Like, this song, I think you get this on the page. This song is nothing if not patchwork. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is a song written by someone who does not understand the rules of writing music <laughs> to sound cool. Yep. Yep. And That's fair. it's perfect for that cuz like because of the way things go down leading to her performance of the song, the lyrics don't actually describe the action no, no. Not at all. <laughs> that they follow because they're not the plan that she had made that she wrote this song right. for. Um, so everything about it is strange and out of touch (laughs) and just in her world and her finally feeling like she has made it and become famous and interesting. Um, when in actuality, who fucking knows if anybody will ever know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she runs off into the, into the moors and is just never heard from again at that point. Yeah. I think we know. I think we do know. Um, let me get to these lyrics. Cause I can I can actually still... I think I have the rhythm for the rap section in my head. Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> um, this is easier when I have sticky notes telling me where every scene is. And I'm not on my phone. I mean, okay, it starts like slow rock and then gets more over the top. And we... We had one of the music professors, uh, I did this on Emory's campus for their professional company. So like we had one of the music professors come in and punch up the orchestrations and add stuff and can it. Uh, And you get these kind of like growing rock thing. We've got some guitar in there and drums and like lights are getting bigger and bigger. And then it breaks into the rap section, which goes something like... 
The axe went whack and then her skull went crick-a-crack-crack. Here's a drippy drip as her blood goes split-a-splat-splat. And cree-cree-cree goes the owl in the dark of night. Who-who-who will come for you? It's you-know-who a murderess is nigh. Just like that. Oh my god. (laughs) This is not me being a person who is bad at that. This is what that is. That was amazing. (laughs) It really, really was. It is... It is it is bad in the most perfect ways oh, to yes. actually answer the question. Yes. It knows what yes. it wants to be and it is that and therefore I love it. Yes. I also love that it ends with like a huge applause that as it dies down the audience realizes it's just the rain like it's in her head and I was like, yes. "Aw. I well, applaud you." Great, what's great about doing it that way is you build in the applause so it's bigger than the house and the theater can ever be. (laughs) Yeah. And it goes on longer than the audience actually ever will. Hmm. And then by the time it goes away and gives way to that wind, no one in the audience is clapping anymore. (laughs) Yeah. They're just watching her and waiting for the drop in that sound. Yeah. Because it is, you know it's coming at that point. You know it's not real. (laughs) And then she is gutted and runs off into the wilds to die. Mm-hmm. Oh, Holdy. <laughs> Holdegard, Holdegard. Holdegard. Oh, I mean, like... the only the only thing more tragic than her in this show might be the scene where the Mastiff tries to relate to oh. her and she just tells it to shut up and go away. Yeah. yeah. They treat that dog so bad. They do. Yeah. It just wants to have a friend, and Agatha's like, it's dangerous. Right. Eat your face off, or tear your face off, or something like that. Yeah. She's not wrong in the end. I mean, no. No, no. (laughs) I mean, there was a point where I was like, oh, this has turned into, hmm, maybe I don't like the Mastiff. Hang on. No. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Mastiff Morhen scenes are just parable for, like, dating in the 2010s. Like, heteronormative, bad heteronormative dating in the 2010s. Yeah. yeah. You got someone who's very intense and wants this to be very serious, and the other person's like, yeah, but this isn't going to last more than the summer. Like, Right. I and trying to be home. honest about it, because yeah. as she said... She's a she flies. She's a she's a bird. He yeah. can't fly. And him, when he offered to learn how to fly, it's like, mm, yeah. OK, how are you going to do that? <laughs> but if you're happy with me, I just don't see why you can't do something I can also do. Exactly. Yeah, I don't see why you want to do this thing you know that I can't do. I hated it so much. Yeah, it was. And then... It was that was the hardest scene to sit through every night mm-hmm. working on this. Like, it never, it never became less comfortable, less uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But that's also good that like it never fell into any kind of comfort. Then yeah. you know they were given it their all. Yeah, yeah. So this is supposed to be a really big house on the moors, and they've hired a governess, which. We know that there's two spinsters, and right. I didn't read the characters at first. I had to go back because I was like, "Oh, maybe it's for um, 
Holdy. And then I was like, no, I think you're an adult. Hang on. Yeah. I did the same. I read them, though. But I was like, wait, she's the younger. But I think it said spinster as well. And went back. It's like, okay, so I don't know why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, like, that's another, like, one of the things I love about this is just how, like, unmoored from time and reality everything that happens in this house is mm-hmm. yeah could... because like we played this with college students we played this with 20 somethings and it still reads because like their days are marked by how they feel or which hat they wear or <laughs> like arbitrary we... measures because I don't know, we get up, we try not to die, and we go to bed, and we never leave the house, and no one comes here because this place sucks. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I did appreciate the, uh, the, um, I'll show you how to write in a journal. You write Monday. Yeah. Today I feel happy. And then you write about that, and then as soon as you have a different feeling, Tuesday. And she's like, wait, what? And I feel like Emily was like, that's not how that works. And she's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is here. That is how it works here. Right. Uh, yeah, I There's really appreciated. Also... Go ahead. No, I just, I think I need to find it. There was one point where I had a moment of, is there going to be magic in this? And it was something, I can't remember what Marjorie was talking about, but I feel like, I think it was her who said, oh, that's just the way time passes here. And I had a thought of time travel, magic, something's happening. <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't, and that was fine, but I had a moment. Like, that's part of what I think is so cool about how unstuck it is, because it makes you, like, it opens you up to that, even though it's never going to happen, and it's not actually a part of this world. (laughs) So, yeah. I got two different vibes, and I'm curious as to if it's just, like, the way you can play it, or if it's Mm -hmm. which one it's actually, you know, meant to be. Um, Because... Emily's character in the beginning seems incredibly innocent and starry-eyed over this master of the house. But at the end, I kind of got the impression that, like, maybe they were in on this together trying to take the house. So I wasn't sure which, like, Hmm. was the innocent act an act? Or was it that she realized at some point she had to given and pretend and like that's how she kept saying kind of thing so i will tell you again kind of for our production how we address that because that did come up in the room at one point okay the director asked the question of the actors kind of just getting where they felt like it was going do you think you two have some plan here do you think you two are working in accord, or is this just sort of how each of you is moving? And the sense kind of all of us in the room had was, this is just kind of how each of us is moving. Okay. And that there's not an intentional transformation there, or an inten- or, uh, an intentional scheme there. That it's more about, like, transformation and... By the time the play is over, sort of the two of them have become Agatha and Holdy. Oh, like yeah. it's a little, it's a little single white female there at the end because Emily has taken this role of, well, first, first actually, uh, Marjorie Mallory Margaret 
takes the role of (laughs) writing. She starts maintaining the journal. And when Holdy is gone, she continues maintaining the journal. She's got this great monologue about how she's a better writer because her verbs are active. She scrubs, she mops, she cleans. Not today, I'm sad. (laughs) Um, And then Emily comes in and she starts giving her corrections. She starts Mm -hmm. giving her notes on... Don't say bit, say scrap. A scrap of yeah, uh, whatever it was. It's like the better versions of Agatha and and Holdy. I didn't even think of that. That is yeah. wow. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, but it's kind of that same sort of this world never changes. Change has been introduced and sort of absorbed into them and become them. And at the end of the play, it's still the writer and the kind of austere, uh, older figure, even if she may not actually be older yeah. than Marjorie. Did she, okay, so is the brother alive? How did you guys play that? So uh, <laughs> the play addresses the fact that at one point there was a brother and a master of the house who basically was kind of a terrible person and whoring around and, you know, spending all the money. Gambling. Yeah. And so Good. they uh, bricked him into the attic, which I really appreciated. Yeah. I mean it's it is the Bronte Victorian trope yep. of attic wife yes. flipped toward <laughs> the brother. It and is love, making it as literal as possible. I like that when Emily confronts Agatha about this, Agatha says, Yep, that's all true. <laughs> um did that and Emily asks if he's dead and she says, I left him with a loaf of bread. Of course, one loaf of bread does not last for three months. So it's just like yeah. She's like, I did give him some bread, but I don't know what he's doing now. <laughs> Even before that moment when she like doesn't totally buy or is in shock by Agatha because Agatha has claimed the master is dead, she goes to Marjorie she's like, is he really dead or isn't he? He's whatever Agatha says he is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Which is kind of how everything else in the house is. We definitely played it as literal to the page. As he is there, this is the plan. Emily is going up to try to have a child with him to become co-matriarchs with Agatha of this family. To the point where, like, we even sort of... I think there was something in the staging that, like, even sort of implied in that last scene that maybe she is pregnant. Okay. I think we kept Mm. that very subtle and open to interpretation. But there was definitely a, a... a beat, a pregnant pause, if you will. <laughs> um, to leave that open. Okay. I'm just trying to picture, like, because he's bricked in, there's know, one brick. Like, there's a lot of effort to get yeah. him out. <laughs> no, I didn't even think that. It was like, hey, I'm just going to right against the bricks. Come on. <laughs> Given what we know about him, he probably oh, probably knew. would. You know, yeah. Here's some gruel. All right. Well, if you're hungry for something else, <laughs> oh, I'm grossing myself out. At least it's not me for once. <laughs> That's fair. I didn't bring any spider facts for this podcast. Thank fucking god. Ugh. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to come back. <laughs> Can we dive more into Marjorie? Yes. Yeah. 
This character is amazing. Yes. Marjorie is, and like, when we, for ours, for our production of this, we played her so just apathetic and deadpan about everything around her. I mean, she was just, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. To everything. Until and unless she starts, like, needling Holdy. Mm Mm-hmm. And getting mad at Holdy for for being wishy-washy about killing Agatha. (laughs) That's definitely how I read her as being fairly deadpan and just, yep. Mm -hmm. Even to, like, just staring dead in the eyes, changing caps to go from (laughs) being Marjorie to Mallory or vice versa, just to get out of a conversation and say... Swap hap? Nope. You'll have to. You'll have to ask the other one. Yeah, I did appreciate that. I laughed at that. Yes, a lot. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you though, keeping up with which hat she's wearing when mm. and which needs to be hidden where for her to grab and swap is a a, a fun time. It is a wild <laughs> ride. I can. Imagine, I probably yeah. spent more time on that and an ink pen than tracking any other prop in this show. An ink pen. We wound up having a dummy set of journals or a second set of... For some reason, there was a second ink pen that belonged to uh, Agatha. And we had to make sure at the end, when Marjorie was writing, because they looked different and you could see that they were different. I see. We had to make sure that the right ink pen traveled to the right corner of the stage to make it on stage with Holdy's journal. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah. That really has nothing to do with what's in the script. That's just a... What you guys did. Yeah. But that's That's just the reality of a script like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, complex. Yes. I actually want to... I want to... If I ever direct this thing, and I'd like to at some point, because there are a couple of things we did that honestly... I think would work differently and that I'd like to play with differently. I want to play with the idea that like this space, all these props that come in to the the parlor or every other room just get left there. And that it all just sort of builds and accumulates and is all this junk in the way all the time. I like that. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, I was trying to figure out because it was like every set changes basically the parlor, which to be fair, is kind of how theater is sometimes where you're like, well, yeah. you didn't change this set much, but okay. But right. it like really like gets all meta. Of a sudden all it's my bedroom now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. And it made all the set changes very easy. I'm sure yeah. it did. <laughs> I just am trying to imagine a grand uh, uh, hallway or entrance hallway or whatever, where it's like, that looks like the parlor. <laughs> Every Tom and Jerry cartoon is actually just them running through this house, through this parlor. Got it. <laughs> that makes more sense. I wonder if the attic is also a parlor. Yeah. Yes, but only after uh, Jerry bricks Tom into it. Ah, fair. Fair. <laughs> fair. But I did the, the scene where uh, Marjorie walks in. On Holdy writing in her journal, <laughs> and she's like, read this with me. Yeah. Oh my yes. Favorite scene. Oh my god. That is the best. I mean, 
It is probably my favorite scene. It was also just the best audience reaction every night. I, it is such a hilarious, hilarious bit. And the more deadpan your Mallory Marjorie is by default, the better it becomes. <laughs> because at that point, like, she has to work to actively seem scornfully apathetic. Yes. <laughs> like, she's got to dig deep and be just even more out of the world than she normally is. Yes. That is amazing. It was. And when it got to the part of her just slipping in, why don't you kill Agatha? I literally did like a, wait, what? Moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, I was like, oh, that just got okay. dark. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay, this is where we're going with this. And Holdy, you seem on board. <laughs> so when we were talking about, when Meg and I were talking about my coming on, and she asked, do you have a play that you'd recommend? She said you guys wanted something lighter because you'd hit a bunch of dark stuff lately. (laughs) And I'm like, well, here's the thing. If you asked for a musical, I could give you something light. But if you want mostly a straight play, those are hard to find and they actually be good to just read. Mm, Yeah. Here's the best I can do. Good luck. (laughs) I mean, I think you did great. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Because most of mine come from, you know, Renaissance times, and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> it's not what I wanted to do for this podcast. Yeah. As I'm much about as I to, love them. I'm about to work on a production of Servant of Two Masters, and I cannot imagine trying to talk about that play on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think this was a, an excellent choice. Yeah. It was very enter- entertaining. This is my idea of comedy, though, if that tells you anything. (laughs) I did wonder for a minute, though, if Holdy was going to kill her sister. Um, I think Marjorie did a good job at letting her know this will make you famous or infamous, and she loved the sound of that, and she seemed way more excited about the idea of someone writing a ballad about it, so she had to, like, do that first. you have to have that done, Um, because you don't want anybody to jump in and take that from you. Right. But I was just like, are you gonna do this, or at least try to do this? I'm very curious. Well, and the scene where she does it, again, I adore for the fact that it is not the planned version of it. Yeah. And again, open to interpretation, but we definitely played it as... She's not going to do it. She comes in, she has the axe. She thinks she's going to do it, but she's never going to actually do it. Until her sister says the one unforgivable thing. (laughs) Your writing is boring. Yes. As soon as she started talking about how she read her diary and she didn't like it, it's like, oh, Holdy's going to kill you now. (laughs) For sure. Uh, We also diverged from the stage direction on that one somewhat because we didn't want to risk like a candlestick flying out into the audience or something like that since we were (laughs) in the round so it did become just like she knocks her to the ground and bashes her head into the ground over nice wow gotcha and then she's like oh well i'm gonna sing my song now (laughs) i've done it well she does call for marjorie first but then she yeah and mallory And, and Mallory. Mallory, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I'm trying actually, to... Actually, we, we had the choreographer from that wrestling play come do the grapple and throw and nice. head banging oh, for that smart. scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think That's I realized awesome. that Marjorie and Mallory were the same person at first. Um, 
because like so Marjorie has typhus. Yes. And Mallory's supposed to be pregnant. Right. Yes. Mallory's and the parlor maid. Mallory pregnant. got sent out to ask if yep. uh, Marjorie had sisters. <laughs> yes. And then yes. Mallory came back. Yes. Yeah. So I'm guessing no, it def- that's it a, definitely a bit like when you see it. it yeah. Yeah. Well, and it plays at first like it plays at first as okay, she's going to talk to someone else. And then once she comes back in, it does it and she does the hat swap. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Did she just go pretend to talk to herself? <laughs> and the answer is no, she didn't even do that because that would require her to care. She just left the room so that it was as though she had. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other. The other gag I love through this that is just the most, like, uh, uh, esoteric thing to dig in on. She has typhus, of which coughing is not a symptom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, because I was like, as I was saying, I was like, typhus, but she coughed. Did I mean something different? And then coughed in Emily's face, which I did think was funny. (laughs) Yes. Like, that is as likely to give her typhus as she is to get Emily pregnant. Yes, that was uh, all of that. Um, and like, I love that it never makes a meal of that. And in any given audience, I don't know, there may be three or four people who will actually key into that piece of it. <laughs> but it doesn't care and it doesn't have to care. Exactly. Because it's so weird. It's so good. I also kind of just going back to... The Mastiff and the Moorhen, uh, when the Moorhen is talking about how she hates takeoff and landing, but that basically flying isn't so bad. I just thought that was kind of adorable. She's like, I yeah. like the bookends, but once I'm up there, and it's good. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't really talked about the relationship much at all. No. Yeah. So, uh, and we had, I, we, we played with the idea of like, like I said earlier, we had them still be be very human. Yes. But we had the the Mastiff be this like sort of slouched, heavy moving kind of. You know, he was in this big long coat with fur trim. Nice. Um, for the Morhen, we actually had like this really really short dancer who okay. was super flexible and super graceful and could just kind of hop around. And she moved so amazingly like a bird. Um, uh, but, like, the two of them, like, that. there's a bit where... So we basically we just have four scenes between them. They're four out of 15 scenes in the play. Um, they briefly meet while the dog is having his sort of existential crisis. <laughs> they meet again... And the Morhen doesn't really remember him because that is just how she is. She lives in the moment. And it starts to rain and he wants to stand over her and keep her dry. And we see again sort of things are very domestic between them, but the cracks start to show and then the cracks are wide open and Mm -hmm. we get the, you can't leave me, I'm not going to let you leave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fade to black. Yeah. The bird is uh, has hurt her leg, so right. she can't fly yeah. for the moment. And he's very much se- like, "Do you want soup? Do you need a blanket? Yeah. Do you need?" And I'm just like, "Okay, 
okay. <laughs> right, and then as she's getting better, like, wait. <laughs> Not super excited about her getting better. Yeah. But that moment where he stands over her to keep her dry gets everyone so completely invested yes. in bird and dog getting together. <laughs> yes, it was like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. This will end well. (laughs) Just Um, found and the trying to explain happiness and depression and sadness and loneliness and God because he thinks that she's God and she's like, "What is God? (laughs) Are you going to eat God?" Right, right. Or like he becomes sort of this cipher for all of the inherited societal religious baggage that the father of this family and society in general has placed on everyone Mm -hmm. and she is so much this i don't know i'm an animal stop being domesticated (laughs) just be an animal and well don't eat me because that is what an animal would do yeah right an animal that is you would do this you are big and i am small and you think i am edible your kind but primarily eats birds it's okay yeah Eats things like me, I think she says. (laughs) And like, what is the very first thing that happens in the play? It is a bird hitting a window and falling dead. Like, it is... And their solution is, well, we need to stop this, but also Morhen is for dinner. Like, yeah, there's one thing she exists to be in this world, and she can only live in the moment or go insane because of that. Oh, that just got too deep. You just got too intense. Yeah. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> <sighs> oh, privacy is overrated. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, it is not. <laughs> is my dog going through an existential crisis? Uh, that or a like nap. Being comfy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's a nap. <laughs> yeah. He's staring nap, at me, but he's like, times. whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we've hit on all the characters. Have I missed? We haven't talked. I mean, we've talked kind of where Emily ends up. Mm. We haven't talked about Emily and Agatha and and sort of their dynamic. It was very interesting. So Emily at top of play believes that she has been recruited by the male head of house to come take care of, take care of a baby that does not exist. Neither exists. Neither exists. Well, the male well, head of the house exists. Debatable, but yes. He's just, you know, bricked away in the attic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and she shows up, and like, immediately Agatha is antagonistic toward her and dismissive of her and demeaning to her. Because all she wants to know is, where is where is he? Can I meet him? Yep. It was very uh, Victorian heroine of like, where is the man that's going to take away my heart? Yeah. Yeah. And then come to find out that Agatha has written all those letters. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I was yeah. like, and, Yeah, but the scene, the scene where she reveals it, and it's the, what did you do? What did you think? What did you want? What did you imagine next? What did you imagine him doing? Okay, then what did I do? Yeah. 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 And it's like that pronoun shift and the way yep. she kind of... Walks there like one of the things that we actively worked on in the room was making sure that it never felt predatory. Okay. Calculated, yes, but predatory, no. Okay. Because 
we didn't want that trope. The actors on stage didn't want that yeah. trope. Um, I could see it very easily becoming that, so I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and it it requires something really hard of the actress playing Agatha. It requires simultaneously being unapproachable, but also like tender. Yeah. Mm. Without ever giving ground until until kind of Emily takes ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until Emily. Going back to sort of the ending as Agatha has to sort of learn to speak Agatha's language and gain Agatha's respect and be like her in ways that I think are what set off her just superseding her at the end. Uh, but it's a scheme basically to to create an heir and have that heir together and maintain... The lineage, so they can maintain the property, and yeah. property, and so that Agatha, the only competent person in the family, can not have to deal with everyone fucking up all the time. Yeah, yeah. I did like though when Emily goes to Agatha's room to talk to her. She was like, you know, need some assurances here. Yes, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> if I'm gonna do this, she first asked. She wants her own wing and her own servant. And I was like, yes, Emily. You, you hey, do you. You make your request. <laughs> you're gonna push out the baby. Ask for what you want. Ask for everything. Yes. Everything. I guess this response is: you get one room by the nursery, and Marjorie is your servant. <laughs> she's like, she's no. like, uh, two rooms. <laughs> and I'll deal with Marjorie. Yes. Yeah. Because Marjorie at one point makes her clean. Yes. I think you'd. I think you'd scrub better if you had the typhus. <laughs> cough right in your face. <laughs> Which that might have been the most violent reaction we got from the audience every night. Yes, <laughs> her bending down to cough in her face. I had a physical reaction to that while reading this on the yes. train. I was like, no, because <laughs> I still wasn't a hundred percent sure if she was actually pregnant and or had a fever. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. <clears throat> Well, like, just the other thing, too, in terms of practicality and staging, um, there's no way to get a pregnancy belly on and off of her when she swaps hats. So, yeah. no, like, that's kind of the thing that is the most physical symbol of no. Gotcha. Um, because there's no way to do that. So that sort of gives you your hint that it's not this easy. is not an act and this is not a a psychology. This is... Kind of how she passes the time to amuse herself. <laughs> so you think she creates these characters, not that they force these characters. Yes. Like, I don't think Agatha and Holdy say, we need you to be different people. I don't think it's some sort of, like, dissociative identity disorder. No, I didn't think that. I just, for some reason... I think it is... I was thinking more of like the house would require these two maids, but we can't afford these two maids. So you will be both maids, but to make it easier, these are the roles that you will be. I, I don't think we ever even had a conversation about that. That, I I think we always just kind of ran from this is how she marks time. That's fair. Her day starts when she's a new person. Yeah. Yeah. What is her real name, though? <laughs> no. Gertrude. 
<laughs> I don't know. Right. Something not with an M. Yeah. Exactly. This is good. I enjoyed this. Yeah, very much. Wonder if so I can I... find someone up here who's doing it. Probably. Probably. It's... I th- I think Jen Silverman's plays are pretty well produced at this point. That's like, awesome. um, actually, there's another one that the same director who I did this with has found and wants to find somewhere to do in town down here. Oh, nice. Um. So yeah, I'm sure if you look around a little, you can. Do you know anything about her? Uh, not really, honestly. I know that at one point we reached out. Uh, I shared this with both of you two uh, about an hour before we recorded. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to explain why we reached out before I explain how we reached out. Uh, during the first table read, during one of the Morhen Mastiff scenes, it popped into my head, you know... This is like really dark peanuts, and this is Snoopy and Woodstock. <laughs> and because I am the monster that I am, oh, no. I opened up Photoshop and made the first of like 30 strips in this folder uh, there at the table. And when we got to a break, just flipped it around and showed the director. Oh my god. <laughs> whose response was, this is hilarious. It's too bad there's no way you could do this every night. <laughs> Not only did I do it every night, but I mapped every character to a specific Peanuts character and maintained it through the entire run. Amazing. After which the director insisted that we share these with Jin Silverman. Okay. And we found an email address. I never heard, we never heard anything back about it. Oh, that's so sad. Aww. It's so good, though. Like, I only got a chance to look at a couple um, on the train because the service was not great. So I'm definitely going to be looking at the rest of them. But the ones I saw, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have not looked at these since the show closed. And, like, there were some I got to. I'm like, oh, no, they were right. I am a monster for doing that. I mean... <laughs> Alex, I've seen some of the stuff you've done. I can believe that. <laughs> uh, like, as you look through these, and I don't know, if you guys want to share some of these, you're welcome to. Oh, definitely. Um, we'll be putting some of these on Instagram. <laughs> my rules were trying to stick to the same characters. You know, like, Lucy is Agatha, and Marjorie, is, or uh, uh, Peppermint Patty is Emily... Marcy is Marjorie. I even kept the M's. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, Sally is Holdy, and then uh, Woodstock and uh, Snoopy. I did cheat with some of the older strips where, like, there's a character who sort of became the the prototype for, for Marcy, but wasn't technically Marcy. Like, I had to cheat a little bit when I got near the end of rehearsal. The other was, like, I never added word balloons. Sometimes I'd make them a little bigger, and I never added or changed characters. I never took away word balloons. Nice. The only yeah. time I added anything was I might have added some blood to one at the very end. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Because I am history's greatest monster. I mean, um, <laughs> But, uh... No, uh, the only thing I know about Jin Silverman is that even that did not garner a reaction. That makes me sad. Damn. Yeah. Eh, it's okay. 
I can see not loving someone doing that with my blood. <laughs> but it's so good. And actually, kind of along those lines, we didn't fully talk about what the Mastiff did at the end. Oh, oh yeah, no. Why yeah. that blood may have been needed. Yeah, so in the last scene, we the, the last scene opens with this pool of blood on stage that Emily's staring at. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is Agatha's blood. Mm-hmm. Um, Marjorie comes in with a mop to clean it up, and it has this great line, oh, I was just going to dust while holding a mop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and they have the whole conversation. Have you seen Agatha? No. Have you seen Holdy? No. And I'm content <laughs> to not. Yes. Yep. She uses so Agatha's word. And then the dog comes in and he is covered in blood. Uh, does the like Looney Tunes spit feathers out of his mouth that fly through the air? Did appreciate that. And uh, sits down, like, in his corner, despondently. And they're just like, oh, he must have gone out hunting. Yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, he is... That is the first time you see him after the, I can't let you leave, I won't let you leave, fade to black. Right. Which was like, this isn't going to end well for this poor little moorhen. And then that happened. It's like, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, add to it, this week's episode of Evil involved incels, and I'm just like, "Mm, oh great, not appreciating all of this. No. And the only guy in this play is the Mastiff. (laughs) (laughs) Men are dogs. Oh, God. Don't kill birds. There's a theater I'm associated with with that's doing a play called Men are Dogs. Hmm. And Facebook will not let them advertise it because they say the title is hate speech. Fuck. Of course they do. Of course they do. What yeah. the fuck? I like every day. I'm like, I need to leave Facebook. Yep. Every Same. fucking yep. day. If I can figure out a way to like advertise stuff on social media without actually being on social media, it'd be great. It would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, a friend of mine uh, got a seven day ban from Twitter for saying "kill all billionaires" or something like that, or retweeting something, and yeah, I was like. Cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Men are trash gets taken down very quickly on Facebook, too. Yep. I wonder if they'll take it down if it's in Spanish. That is a good question, because I thought they wouldn't if it was a picture, but they do. Mm. Yeah. I do appreciate there's a... Um, uh, shit. Let me figure out what her design is called. Salty said sweetly, which is uh, their snarky messages written pretty like. And <laughs> one of the ones she's done is like Vanna White style, um, where all the vowels are missing on Men Are Trash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do appreciate that. That's a good one. Yes. I like that. That is excellent. Yes. Yes. I feel like you could appeal to Facebook and get them to, but you know what? No, it's fine. I don't want to. Not this my is problem. Make me angry. Yeah. Really, truly, yeah. not my problem. That's true too. Yeah. yeah. It sucks. I am not responsible for this theater. It has people who are better at social media than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dealing with it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. 
anything else we wanted to say about this one? I'm good. I'm going to re- be reading this again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a very quick read. It's about 80-something sure. pages. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, book drink or play drink. <laughs> uh, a definitely a cup of uh, English breakfast tea. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Although I do like, I think Agatha has a flask at one point. Oh, true. Very not ladylike. I was like, I'm here for yeah. this. <laughs> do you think this is unladylike? Yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> so good all right i feel like i'm forgetting something (laughs) no you're good you're good all right thankfully we don't spend two hours talking about 83 pages yes i mean (laughs) we've done more (laughs) yeah i'm gonna say we've done like similar yes yes six hours on pet cemetery yes Oh my god, there was so much. <laughs> there was so much to talk about, though. Yes. It's not our fault. He's like, Stephen King's very wordy. He's so, so fucking wordy. Like, not all us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Duh, let's see, do you guys know what you're reading next? Uh, that is not for a podcast, Alex. Not for a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Forgot to include that part. <laughs> okay. Actually, for once, I do um, Medallion Status by John Hodgman. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yep. Your book came nice. in. <laughs> Love me some John Hodgman. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I forgot to warn you about that question because um, <laughs> we'll get to what Alex does on podcast in a minute. <laughs> I mean, the good news for my answering that question is I perpetually have a list of the next book or books I intend to read. <laughs> it just doesn't change because I never have time. Yeah, that's <laughs> That happens. Yeah. It happens. Megan, do you I, know what you're reading? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a habit of treating my calendar like a game of Tetris. <laughs> um, and do do a lot of other podcast reading on top of that. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, I am currently very slowly, and hopefully we'll read more of it, reading Megan Joe, which I think mm. comes out... In either December or January, it is a retelling of Little Women, which is, of course, very big right now. Yes. Um, and I am I'm only like five pages in, so I wanted to finish the Game of Thrones book two, and I did that. Oh yeah, yeah. How about that? So I've started How's that going? book three. It's I'm enjoying it. I, I still yeah. have no interest to jump back into the TV show, but I'm enjoying the books. You fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're good you're good the yeah. books are more satisfying yeah. especially as you get deeper in the books remain satisfying and the tv show Doesn't. becomes <laughs> well I'm less hoping, consistent i'm hoping well Being i have book kind. three and i should be finishing that hopefully before it's due back at the library uh and then i think i'm gonna take a break because i read two and then immediately started three because mm. i did not plan it two was a bit of a slog yeah. It's like, I like the intrigue stuff more than like, we're at war. And I'm like, I just don't care. Yeah. Have you so. have you gotten to Reek yet? To what? Reek? No. Not that I okay. You may You may feel a need to tap out and catch your breath at Reek. Reek is a lot. 
Okay. Rika is probably the first thing in the books that is a lot. Mm. Yeah. Don't think I know what that is. Sorry, the wind okay. just like scarily picked up. Um, <laughs> I only know what it is from the show. I, yeah. I can only imagine how the book yeah, to is. Put in perspective where I am. <laughs> um, Bran and Rickham are on the run. They had just separated at the end of book two. And I don't think I've heard from either of them. Arya is running away again. I don't know. She's always on the run. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sansa thinks she's going to marry a Tyrell brother. Rob just basically like shunned his wolf and got he got married um, because yeah. he uh, had someone comfort him. Um, but he also shunned his wolf because his brother's wolves didn't take care of his brothers. And I just started crying and I was not okay with that. Um, <laughs> that is an affront to ghost. Um, no, his is gray, gray. No, but saying his brother's wolves didn't take care of his brothers is an affront. Oh, because he, he thinks Bran and Rickon work on their dad. I know. Yeah. Um, John's with, John's finally interesting. He's with Ygritte. <laughs> Ygritte. <laughs> I'm sorry. John finally I had, finds character development. I was just like by being near an interesting woman. Every time John yeah. was on, I was like, "All right, well, you're in snow. Cool." He, I definitely <laughs> shocked some people, some friends. One because again, just I've only watched the show. When I was like, you know, John Snow, what's his name? Kit Kit Harrington. I was like, he's, yeah, he's fine, but he's like. Not this super attractive, like what everybody else was saying. Yeah. Like, I was just like, mm, his wife's sure. Hot. I do like her. Yeah. And I also liked Rob. Rob was my king in the north. <laughs> I will miss him forever. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was basically texting earlier because uh, I'm texting Ryan and Elle and just being like, uh, I think the last one I sent was Jon Snow has a crush. Ah. So. Nice. I should really read those books. <laughs> They're good. I am surprised how much I'm enjoying them as much as yeah. I didn't care for season one of Game of Thrones. So, Because mm. like, I wanted to start them either knowing that the series has an ending because he finished it or it doesn't have an ending because he's like, can't finish. He's not going to finish it. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. I do. I don't know what I want to read next. So, but that sounds like a good yeah. idea. I will say that knowing how the, you've seen the ending of the show, Alex, right? Oh, yes. Okay, because I knew Stephanie had. We've talked about it. Yeah. Because it's the only episode I had watched <laughs> until I watched season so one. Good. <laughs> and reading the books, I understand how. Uh, I guess spoilers for the end of the show. If you're listening to this, I understand how. I don't understand how Sansa becomes queen of the North, but I completely support her becoming a queen because. Man, she's getting used to like the intrigue and like having to save yourself and take care of yourself and protect yourself. That's what I'm looking for in a court that wants to kill you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that I support. Mm-hmm. Um. So far, oh, and Danny's doing something with the dragons. I like. I kind of get why everybody really likes her, but also I'm just like, well, you're like way out there still. Yeah, and I think it's two it might be three i think it's two where danny is doing some like mystical stuff that never happens in the show oh she did do some yeah i think damn yeah i don't 
There's she, this whole like magical tower full of prophecy that yeah, just never she is keeps a thing. Like, oh. Getting turned around and stuff and yeah. But um I don't know, like all the people I I still am like, well, it's her throne technically, even though she probably her family probably stole it from someone else. But also I'm just like <laughs> if you're all gonna fight over it. I am ready for Joffrey to die though, man. That kid oh, is exhausting. From the show, I just like was so ready. Yeah, it, I, don't I know, know he that will. I have been ready for anything else, like ever, like that hard. Like, yeah. just I'm ready. Yeah, I know he will. I'm just so ready for it to be done. I also was amused because I know Natalie um, Dormer plays the Tyrell woman. Mm-hmm. Natalie Marjorie. Yeah, she's yeah. like 37, so she was like. 30 when she played this role the character's 16 in the book and so like i get the aging up of some things but i still was like all right sure that's that's a bit of an age up yeah yeah because i still feel like joffrey's supposed to be only 18 yeah so yeah fucking joffrey yeah joffrey (laughs) Glad to see that nobody likes him, except no. for maybe his mother. <laughs> I don't think even she really likes him. She's just like, I oh, think... it's my kid. Yeah, he's the king, or gonna be, yeah. Yeah. So, what are you gonna read, Stephanie? I don't know. <laughs> All right, I do want to finish Eloquent Rage because okay. it was very good. Um, I think I need to stay away from audiobooks until I either figure out a cross-stitch project that I can take on the train or figure out or learn how to knit. So. Yeah, I haven't read that. Chief Brody could use a scarf. Yeah. (laughs) He'll get so annoyed. (laughs) Um, I think I'll finish that. And then I have a Sandra Cisneros book, Woman Hollering Creek, that I don't think I've ever read. Okay. So I don't know what it's about. I'm just, I can see it in my sight line on my bookshelf. And I'm like, I'm, 99% 99% I have percent sure I've not read you so that's what it'll be perfect <laughs> I like your game plan of what is on my shelf today what's on my shelf that I can see from here that I'm pretty sure I haven't read <laughs> um, although um, I did see so I read like water for chocolate and it's yes. on Netflix I gotta watch that this weekend I didn't realize <laughs> it was on Netflix oh damn yeah all right at least it was when I looked the other day I hope it didn't like leave I'm sure it's still... Actually, who knows with Netflix, I'll be honest. Yeah, because stuff leaves, like, all the time. Yeah. But uh, Lock and Key should be coming soon. It's still on there. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, Lock and Key. My heart. <laughs> I got to ask my sister, because I got her the first two of the trades for her birthday. I got to see if she liked them, if she read them. I hope she enjoyed them. Yeah. Yeah, the one shot last week was very good. It's yeah. two one shots in one, and one is a dog's day. It's about a dog who, I don't know if he eats the key or oh, not. Deer hunt, but uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't think he does. But he becomes a human, and mm. it's kind of told of like these three boys sitting around, and they're like, "What do you think the mailman's thinking about?" or something, and then he's like, "Or what are you thinking about?" And it's like the if the mailman's butt tastes like lunch or something. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah 
Nice. And then the second one has almost next to no dialogue, but is a good setup for the for it to come back. Okay, very nice. Yeah. Oh, my heart. <laughs> my heart. Because that family's not been through enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> I almost want to reread them, but I'm not in the mood to be super devastated. Yeah, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> but they're so good. They are so I good. I know. They are so good. I do Ugh. need to reread Wicked and Divine. That is still on my list. I still need to read most of it. Yes, Same. you do. <laughs> yes, you do. <sighs> All right. So, Alex, where can people find you? Um, on Panelology, which is a weekly comics review podcast. On Minds at Yerp, which is a bi-weekly Animorphs reread podcast. <laughs> and on the Rob Thomas, no, not that one, Robcast. <laughs> Which is a bi-weekly Rob Thomas, the TV one, podcast in which we are currently watching Veronica Mars, which I have never seen before. Nice. Our next episode is the first Christmas episode from season one. That is pretty perfect timing on your part. We got very lucky. Yes. I need to watch that show. I know I yes, watched it, too. some of it, when it was on. Not enough to remember it. <sighs> and I need to. Yes, Because also do. I just love Kristen, and I just, The Good Place, and love Kristen Bell, and yes. want more of her in my life. I've I have come to embrace the fact that I will spend most of every episode hating everyone on screen, but enjoying hating them. Yes. <laughs> Which is not my normal, normal speed. It is very much a show that is presented as like, hey, teenage detective, yay. And really it's like, hey, let's talk about how classism sucks. Yeah. <laughs> also, I just need Logan and Weevil to become best friends and Veronica to stop dating guys. Her life would be better if she would just date any of the women on that show, but mostly Meg. Who's she dating currently? Um, she's not. She just keeps flirting with stupid Duncan. Oh, yeah. Duncan's the worst, though. Like he, she's flirting with him while he's extorting her to find his laptop. Well, to find the pot from a poker game that went missing, so Weevil snagged his laptop. It's as complicated as it sounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Duncan sucks. Duncan sucks. <laughs> what do you expect from a billionaire's son? Any amount of personality would be a nice start. <laughs> oh, there was some name, Megan, that you said you can't trust a guy named... Probably Logan. Logan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally what it was. Between Veronica yeah. Mars and Gilmore Girls and yeah. another yeah. show. Because it came up with something where like a Logan popped up and I was like, nope, nope. <laughs> Don't trust Logans. Okay. Uh, and where can people find you, Megan? Uh, you can find me at my blog, which will have uh, all my podcasts and uh, anything else that I'm involved in. I am also on Minds at York with Alex. Um, did you read any Animorphs? I know I've asked you this, but... Like a couple, not enough to even remember. <laughs> Doesn't like, stop me. Read them all, still don't reread. remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> we should get you to come on and just read one of them randomly. <laughs> okay. 
I'm we in. We should find a really <laughs> bonkers one. I'm sure we can. We're in the 30s. They're all bonkers at this point. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me here. All right. So you can find us at JBC Podcast on all of the social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Kind of use the Instagram more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you can come back in two weeks to join us. Our challenge is because coming up on my birthday and I was born in 85. It's a 1985 bestseller. And we're doing Contact by, is it Carl Sagan? I have no idea who it's by, but we're going to have. I might have butchered the last name. I apologize if I did. (laughs) It was picked by a friend of the show, Tim Lowe, who will be back. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Hey, that's another Mindset Your Coast. That is another <laughs> Mindset Your Coast. So you know what that means, Stephanie, is we need to get you on Mindset Your okay. to read an Animorph soon. we got to complete this. So yes. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Alex. Thank you so much. You were so fun. Please come thank back. Thank you. I had a blast. I will. Yay. Like, pick some more plays for us. <laughs> on it. Awesome. Glad we could get you to talk about something other than comics. Which I love talking with you about comics. I said that, but it, you know. I'm glad to get me to talk about something other than <laughs> comics. Well, anytime you want to mix it up, come be a guest. <laughs> Will do. All right. So thanks for listening. Join us in two weeks for contact. And in the meantime, keep supporting your local libraries. <laughs>